Hello, and welcome to the Word Theater Short Story Podcast. This is Cedaring Fox, Word Theater's founder and artistic director. For the past 20 years, we have been gathering the best actors and writers and producing live short story events for audiences in Los Angeles, New York, and London. Word Theater seeks out the best literary short fiction, stories that reflect the colorful, complicated, and fascinating world we live in. This week, as the war in Ukraine rages into a second year, we are shining a spotlight on one of Ukraine's most renowned authors, Oskana Zabusko, by sharing Olivia Williams' superb performance of her powerful story, Your Ad Could Go Here. This story was recorded live in London last October at a word theater performance of Ukrainian authors' works, benefiting the largest children's hospital in Ukraine. To introduce the titular story in Oksana's remarkable collection, please welcome one of Britain's finest actors, currently starring as Camilla in The Crown, Olivia Williams. I connected with this story because of my obsession with gloves and became obsessed with this story because while being ostensibly about a pair of gloves, its subtext is about the trauma of loss. Oksana describes the intense disorientation you feel when you go to a place that exists so clearly in your memory that you can feel it and see it and smell it, only to return and find it is gone. She does this with humour and humanity, which makes it such fun to read, and with characters and small details, each of which inform the vastness of human experience. They were the most splendid leather gloves I had seen in my life. <laughs> Finished to the gossamer weight of a rose petal, with a dazzling luminous chestnut hue that instantly brought to mind the imperial horses and their silky croups. At the Hofreitschule, delicately laced with a finely cut design at the wrist, all of it handmade, my goodness, they immediately wrapped my hand in the firm, loving grasp of a second skin. And one was compelled henceforth to stroke the hand thusly with the same reverence as an imperial steed. One stroke to admire the hand, spreading one's fingers against the light, making a fist, letting it go, and never taking such beauty off. In a word, walking away from those gloves was beyond my power. <laughs> they existed. As befits any work of art, as a singular artefact, everything in that glove shop was singular. Not one pair resembled another, each more fantastic than the next. But these, these caught my eye the second I walked through the door, like the glance of a dear fellow creature in the crowd. They were exactly my size. I told the gentle old man in a knitted waistcoat who sat behind the counter, I wore a size six, but he just shook his head. No he said in his slightly raspy Viennese English. You're not a six, but a five and a half. Here, try these. But I always buy sixes, you'll be telling me, miss, he laughed. I have been making these gloves for 50 years. Oh, you make them? And you sell them? You're the owner? Yes, 
he confirmed with the quiet pride of a master craftsman who knows his worth. The tiny store on Mariah Hilferstrasse, which I entered on a whim with a purely, I wonder what's here, transformed into a fairy tale forest hut. The one to which the fleeing heroine stumbles at nightfall. You know, the one where she meets the master of the underground kingdom, chops his own wood, carries his own water, makes his own supper. I dearly wished I spoke better German and the old man better English. We could hardly talk about anything important with our tourist minimum vocabularies. I adore such dapper gentlemen in vests. In my own country, they were exterminated. Exterminated as a species 50 years ago, shipped out to Siberia in cattle cars. Their absence from the universe in which I grew up was still evident, as visible as the silhouettes cut out of group pictures with the names still written underneath. It warms my heart every time I see what became of them in other, less chaotic lands. To spend 50 years sculpting these gloves from tanning and cutting to the finishing stitches around the eyelet holes that would adorn imaginary hands. Does this not mean becoming Lord of Gloves, the one and only, not just in Vienna, but in the whole wide world? I named them my sunshine gloves. They glowed, I could see their aura in the paper bag into which the Lord of Gloves packed them for me, with his name imprinted and the address, Maria Hilferstrasse 35, and the numbers, landlines. Everything about him was so oldy-worldy, solid, with this distant 19th century breeze of faith in an ordered world. A world in which things are made to last forever, because the makers know that things outlast people and will one day serve for our descendants as the only tangible proof of our existence. Even through the paper bag, I could feel the silky softness of the rose petal leather. I kept touching it and smiling. I had been entrusted with a treasure in the fairy tale forest hut, a talisman from a different age. Who today, who today would labor over such gloves, every pair unique, every pair a single copy, to sell them for these same 50 euros they charge for the thick, chunky mitts in the mall across the street? Later, I got myself a designer sweater to go with the gloves, a special jacket, a special pair of fine suede pants. I had the persistent feeling that my sunshine gloves stood out no matter what outfit I wore, no matter how carefully I selectedly, they most certainly did. They demanded different lines designed by someone in love with their model. With the gloves, I could tell the mood with which another item of clothing was conceived and made. The gloves accepted some, rejected others without any apparent logic, but irrevocably and at once. In the fall of 2004, they suddenly fell in love with a flamboyant, fiery scarf, which I then wore throughout the entire Orange Revolution. <laughs> Never mind that the scarf did not come from a fashion designer and cost a third of what the gloves had cost. 
They were perfect together. And a press photographer, to a man, they all wanted my picture in that orange scarf with my sunshine gloves. No, no, don't take them off, love. Just leave everything as it is. Here one rather expects a certain development of this plot. Julio Cortazar, for instance, or even Peter Haig, would definitely have written a story, and Taras Procasco would have told one in the pub, because he's too lazy to write it down, <laughs> in which the gloves quietly move on from approving garments to approving or disapproving people. And then they begin to rule the heroine's life, guiding her to the authentic and away from the fake, sweeping out from her life's wardrobe, false friends, unnecessary obligations, and ultimately her own disguises, stripping her down like a cabbage to her bare core. And then we discover there is no core, that the heroine herself does not pass the test of the magical gloves, and so in the end she has to perish in a dramatic fashion to, you know, disappear, be disposed of, and the gloves, fine as a rose petal, will remain gloving <laughs> in their silky chestnut splendor on a desk waiting for their new owner. Yeah, something along those lines. <laughs> Actually, what happened, completely different. What happens is always different from what we read about later. In May of 2005, I did what I had never in my recollection, which begins more or less about the age of three, done. I lost a glove. Maybe I was getting out of a cab, at least it wasn't anywhere on the sidewalk. I retraced my steps along the entire length of the route where I could have theoretically dropped it, looking hungrily. I looked in every single trash can, all in vain. The glove was gone, evaporated, vanished. It rose up to the sky and flew away. It took off and flew into the wide blue sky. It burned to a crisp like the frog princess's skin. My sunshine glove from my left hand. The hand was left <laughs> naked. And I don't think I'd wept like that since the age of three. I mean, of course, I, I, I'd cried countless times about much weightier reasons in my more or less coherently remembered 40 years since I was three, but weeping like this, truly, never. I wept like the child who discovers for the first time the injustice of the world, which she had begun to believe to be orderly and safe. Adults call it a life crisis, and instead of weeping, they usually climb into a noose or call their therapist. They look for other ways to glue together the shattered self. You see, the older you get, the more you see that really life can be put back together somehow, made bearable, although it will never be the way it was before. But that's okay. It is going to be all right, really. Things have a way of fixing themselves as long as you're, as long as you're okay. That specifically is what everyone at home told me. Stop being a child. You've got the other glove. You have the address. You have a book coming out in Austria. You're going to Vienna anyway. Stop by the store. Ask him to make you another pair. You could even send him the right one by mail, my husband said. Call them, make the order, and have the left one ready for you to pick up when you're there. 
well, there's no way I'm doing that. No. No mailing for me. That was just somehow out of the question to pass the surviving glove into unknown hands. To entrust its fate to a faceless tracking system felt like a betrayal to me, as if I would be confirming I deserved to have been abandoned by that lost glove. As the folk song goes, you knew not how to honor us. No, I had to do it in person. I had to face the Lord of Gloves in his forest hut at the Marienhilfestrasse. One step into a side street of the busy shopping thoroughfare, push the right door, and I will be again in that cozy, draping silence, green-colored, as if tinged with the virgin forest outside the windows, but in fact, because of the green lining on the display case. Filled with the gorgeous, one-of-a-kind pairs of gloves in Liver Bay, black, buckskin and rowan. Perhaps the Lord of Gloves will offer me tea and we will have a chance to converse a bit about important things, such as pursuing his craft for 50 years despite the rising flood of Maria Hilferstrasse outside his windows. I memorized several particularly difficult phrases in German in case he couldn't understand my English. The prospect truly made me nervous. On that trip, I barely had an hour to spare in Vienna and had to fit in the trip from the Hotel Mercure near the Westbahnhof to Maria Hilferstrasse and back, so I started dialing the numbers listed on my paper bag, in which I carried the right glove, as soon as I landed and kept calling until the cab came to pick me up at the hotel. But there was no answer on either line. I felt a sick knot in my throat, my heart hammered. In 40 minutes, I was due for an interview with a reporter from a popular weekly back in the hotel lobby. At least I'd memorized everything one says to a reporter about one's book in a well-polished block of text, like an audio guide. Please press number 10 now. It was fall. The air beaded with moisture and early lights glowed along the inappropriately festive Maria Hilferstrasse. I wore the same tweed coat I'd had on the day I lost the left glove. Here, the driver asked. Here, I said. At least the, the door was where it should be. I was looking straight at it. Nothing else, however, was there. It was like coming home at night, opening the door with your key and seeing someone else's apartment with entirely different furniture, long inhabited by strangers who, disturbed, turned to face you in alarm. There were, there, there were scarves and belts and some high-tech home decor in plastic, not wood. Different lighting, vertical cubicle display windows, everything a sterile white crowd of people, and a completely different smell. Instead of entering a magical parallel world, I was standing in the accessories section of a large department store. Chris God, darf ich Ihnen helfen? asked a glamorous young woman with a smart haircut and fluorescent fingernails. Stammering in my English, I pulled out my paper bag the talisman that would let me be recognized at the entrance to the other world. What if I desperately thought that there's another room here and, and, and the forest hut is over there now? 
desperately looking in all directions in search of a secret door, maybe behind that curtain. No, no, that looks like a closet. I tried to explain. I had one glove which I bought here two years ago, and I've lost the other one. Please, over here, the woman pointed with her blinking nails. The gloves are here. Faceless chunks of grey hung from clothes pegs like carcasses in a butcher's shop. No, you don't understand. I want one exactly like this. This is Röckel, the woman repeated, and the brand name sounded piercing, like the cawing of a carrion-feeding crow. Here, here are our gloves. My glove appeared to irritate her like a piece of evidence testifying to a covert misdeed in which she too had a part. She kept saying, Röckel, Röckel, as if she meant shoo, shoo. Where is the um, older gentleman? He used to live here in the store. He was a, like a glove maker, I asked. And Miss Crow screeched as if stung by a wasp in German. Er ist tot! She slammed that door in my face. Then, in a nicer voice, she repeated in English, the elderly gentleman has died. Röckel bought this place. Sorry, when did that happen? I made an effort to keep down the trembling in my knees. I, I already knew the answer. In the spring, Miss Crow said, sometime in May. In May? <laughs> well, of course it was in May. It was pointless to ask for the exact date. Everything was clear. He took his glove as he was leaving. The dead sometimes do that. They, they want to leave the living something to remember them by. Something more reliable than mere words. Doors swung open and closed. A plump lady in a down jacket was asking to see a wallet. Beside me, a pair of Russian women chatted loudly about scarves. <laughs> Passers-by looked into the windows, a cell phone rang. Nothing was left, nothing to remind me. He died. He's been disposed of, gone to be recycled. What about the gloves, my sunshine gloves and the other, the moonlight gloves, the Mars gloves, the Jupiter gloves, the Venus gloves, the Saturn gloves, gloves for love, gloves for mourning, liver bay, black buckskin and rowan that had inhabited this space so recently. What became of them? Were they disposed of at a garage sale? Aloud, I asked, trying to sound more or less composed, um, wasn't there anyone to inherit the business? Miss Crow made a face that simultaneously expressed the appropriate respect for the deceased and a barely indulgent sympathy for the total unsustainability of his business model, meaning, well, you must understand. Yeah, yeah, I understood. Understanding, in fact, is my job. That's what we writers are for, to try to understand everything and everything and everyone and put this understanding into words, finished to the gossamer fineness of a rose petal, words made supple and obedient, words to cut and to hold the reader's mind like a well-made love that fits like a second skin. One can't do this without understanding. No matter how regularly our kind appears on official paperwork under the rubric entertainer, gets paid not so much for the hours of the labor, but for the brand Röckel, 
The old store's location smack in the middle of the main shopping street must have cost a fortune. I can imagine the bidding war that broke out after the Lord of Gloves died. The space is practically a mansion. But can anyone tell me? Is there no one left in Vienna who can make gloves like these? Is there anyone left, even still alive, who knows how to make gloves like these? Can it possibly be that I became witness to the death of an entire art? Like one of those Pacific Island languages that disappears from linguistic atlases every year, sealing off for us, like treasure caves, the parallel worlds they give expression to. Why didn't he pass his craft on to anyone? Why wasn't there the right person to pass it to? Another slightly crazy bearded nerd in love with women's hands? Or simply with a girl to whom he wanted to give the most beautiful gloves in the world? One doesn't even have to be all that crazy for this. The Lord of Gloves probably himself started there, and the girl refused him most likely, and for the next 50 years he touched women's hands with all his unrequited tenderness. But all of us who bought his gloves dragged off, bit off a bit for ourselves like hungry geese, and before we knew it, it was all gone. How could it be that no one stopped, no one asked to be taught this language? Every great master has to have students, and he was a great master. I still have proof I could show you. Look, look, look at this chestnut glove I have. Look how delicate and sensitive it is, like a living thing. No, don't you want to try it on? Try it on, miss. Don't be afraid. I don't, no, don't run away. <laughs> okay, that, that last bit actually didn't happen. Um, I didn't stand there brandishing the master's last glove in front of the alarmed saleswoman. I, I didn't deliver a fiery oration that would scare the customers. Although we could have yet another short story here in which the heroine is taken away by the police. It's kind of Hollywood, a little homage to Woody Allen, but squarely in the feminine sensibility. Why not? The 60s are coming back. Female rebellion is trending. Instead, I politely purchased from Miss Crow a pair of her mass produced mitts in a less than acidic color and never wore them. It was my way of paying her for the information. Then I walked without seeing where along Maria Hilferstrasse, stumbling and shouldered into other pedestrians' bodies and thoughts, swallowing my tears mixed with rain. I could write a story. Oh, what a story I could write, winged and sure-footed, as if dictated by heaven itself. I could go lock myself in my hotel room right now and write it if I didn't have the interview to go to, and then my reading in the city library, and then a dinner with the organizers, and my flight at the crack of dawn, the usual schedule of our literary marketplace. I, too, I, too, work in retail. The Lord of Gloves was mistaken to trust in me. And you too, you, you should forget everything I just read here. One day, someone will erase all of our scrupulously crafted words from their electronic depositories in order to save some space. And on the white screen of the new and improved super gadget of false 2063, we will see the flashing slogan 
that already so often covers up the vacant spaces of bricked-up doors. Your ad could go here. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Olivia Williams' performance of Oksana Zabusko's story, Your Ad Could Go Here. Remember, you can support two nonprofits by purchasing Oksana's book at bookshop.org. If you're enjoying our free Word Theater short story podcast, we hope you will support us by becoming an annual contributing member at wordtheater.org slash membership slash. There are all sorts of perks for members, and we have a stellar 20th anniversary year ahead in 2023 with events and parties in Los Angeles, New York, and London. And if you can't be with us in person, rest assured that members have access to our beautifully filmed events on your membership page. Our hearts go out to the people of Ukraine, and we pray that this war will soon end. Thanks always for tuning in. Remember, we'd love to hear from you anytime. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please write us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have recommendations for us, just send an email to admin at wordtheater.org. Special thanks to Jonathan Sachs for composing our theme music, and thank you to our podcast editor, Jason Lee. Always, we want to give a shout out to the Los Angeles Department of Arts and Culture for helping to fund this podcast. Until next week, this is Cedaring Fox in Los Angeles, signing off. <laughs>